iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Always ready, Joe. Just absolutely poised at any moment to start podcast podcasting. Yeah. Yes. Well, welcome, welcome to Wednesday's off air, March the first. Oh, it is, isn't it? Pinch punch, first of the month, and happy St David's Day. Thank you very much indeed. Yes. Um, Didn't yeah. know he'd been a vegetarian, or indeed that he was teetotal, or indeed that apparently his mother gave birth to him in a storm on a clifftop in Pembrokeshire. Well, these are all interesting facts, aren't they? they are. But yes, I'm sure that there's a book, probably uh, Reverend Richard Cole's Darling Dickie, as we know him, will publish a book on well-known vegetarian saints. Actually, he could do a cookery show, couldn't he? Is he a vegetarian? Cook with the saints. No, he cooks a lot, though, doesn't he? Oh, he does, he does and, he's, yeah. and his thing is saints. Oh, yes, that's right. He does a saint for every day. Yeah. yeah. Is there a Saint Jane? I don't think there is. Who's the patron saint of broadcasters? I'll look it up. You yeah, keep talking be. for okay. a while. Um, well, thank you to everybody who emailed us um, in response, not just to yesterday's podcast or radio show, but just in general, because it's the gubbins of daily life that we're happy to um, just connect with, just um, make use of on this podcast. So Jane and Fee at times.radio, if you have anything to add. Um, Caroline says, I enjoyed your podcast about the history of breastfeeding yesterday. That was our interview with Joanna Orfarth, who's written that amazing book called Milk. Uh, but Caroline says, I did feel compelled to message. I was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer at the age of 43 with no family history of it. I've just finished 15 months of treatment, which has been really hard. I breastfed both my children for 14 months, mainly as I struggled to get them on a bottle. I enjoyed breastfeeding, but I also found it very isolating at times. I also found, although health professionals are obsessed with breastfeeding, there isn't always the support out there to help. Anyway, my point is, I lost count of the number of people who got breast cancer despite breastfeeding and having seen information and having been told in the past how breastfeeding reduces your risk of getting breast cancer. This stat really annoys me. Wonder how they've come to the conclusion. How do they know it protects against getting breast cancer? I feel like it's yet another thing trying to guilt women into breastfeeding. Anyway, rant over, says Caroline. Caroline, thank you for that and uh, really good to hear from you. And I, I must confess, I, I'm not sure... Whether it, is it routinely said to women that breast cancer is less likely if you breastfeed? Well, I've had that said to me, and I've okay. yeah, and I also remember when Kylie Minogue was open about her breast cancer diagnosis, 
uh, it was a point of conversation then? Because I think she was quite bold, wasn't she, in talking about how worried she was about her fertility being affected by chemotherapy, radiotherapy or any breast cancer treatment. And I remember that coming up in the conversation because I think, I'm pretty sure I didn't have kids at that time, but was of that age where I was kind of thinking... Will I ever have kids? And I remember putting it in that kind of very long list of things that women are told about why having children is an imperative if you have a womb. Yes, and it allegedly helps your general yeah. well-being. Um, what I I totally get your point, Caroline. It must have must have made you absolutely fume, particularly by the way, as you did it for fourteen months. I mean, that's an incredible thing to have done. So I really hope you're proud of yourself for persevering with it but Caroline's spot on when she says that health professionals although obsessed with breastfeeding don't always provide the support support out there if you actually want to do it and carry on doing it so I think she makes a really good point there thank you for that and also this is a very good email from Diane and it's a lovely long email I'll just read one paragraph if that's all right Diane Uh, she says I found in all of the breastfeeding discourse there was very little about people who really couldn't breastfeed I'm pretty sure based on the shape of my body and breasts and some subsequent surgery that I had insufficient sufficient glandular tissue and that meant I would never be able to generate sufficient supply for my children. The Lalesh League were amazingly non-judgmental and helpful in the run-up to the birth of my younger son and I found it absolutely fascinating to hear the conversations about aversion and other challenges faced by those who fed better. My children are healthy, smart and in every other way have had the best possible start in life. We're so lucky that we had access to ample formula and were able to sterilise etc without worrying about where the money would come from to pay for the powder or the energy and we had maternity and paternity leave to take time with our children and uh, Diane ends by saying thank you for your show and your sparkling dynamic (laughs) which I just loved as a phrase it's one way of putting it, Diane. Yeah, that was a very nice way to put it. It's lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. Actually, Diane says that she um, partly, not exactly inspired, but partly influenced by our decision to leave our major employer after 125 years of working for them. Um, it was or, longer. It was. Lo- was it longer? Oh, it was longer. Yeah. Well, I covered the Hundred Years' War, um, and I tell you what, that was that did drag on at times. Um, no, it, it it isn't easy, as Diane knows, to leave a job that or an institution that you've been in for a long time. Anyway she has done it herself and she says it was scary to go but scarier to stay and I think that in the end was why we left wasn't it that and other factors yeah. that, okay <laughs> that and other factors let's be honest yeah, the canteen is good here as we as we often say um Diane I hope you're doing well it does sound as though you are in your new sort of position your professional life so congratulations to you shall we talk hedgehogs oh let's um this is from Claire uh, couldn't resist responding to your interview on hedgehogs this was on the times radio show wasn't it not on the podcast uh but we were doing a conversation about hedgehogs scrapping with each other oh but I think it made it into the podcast oh did it, it okay because the the lady we spoke to was so good right okay um, forgive me I can't always listen to everything I do well, you haven't got enough hours in the day, darling. <laughs> They're just not. Uh, 13 years ago, said Claire, I moved from the UK to New Zealand and I was thrilled to find some of my native country's wildlife dwelling here. The hedgehogs here really know how to thrive. The plant and insect life are so so abundant here and they have no predators, so they've grown to be enormous. <laughs> it's actually quite frightening. I've seen some gigantic ones in my garden. And as much as I love them, I can understand why they're not as popular with the locals. They've got huge appetites and unfortunately they have been known to munch on endangered native bird eggs and other precious creatures. 
My family and I have rescued nine hedgehogs from our swimming pool over the years. Poor things. We're not sure how they got in there, but we suspect they might be thirsty and they try to drink. Luckily, we've been able to save them and they wander off to recover in the hedge. I'm not sure the Department of Conservation would approve of our missions, but I like to think they'd understand. Now, here's an idea. What if we arrange for New Zealand hedgehogs to be repatriated to the UK? It would solve two problems in one. Maybe they've grown too accustomed to the Kiwi life, though, and wouldn't want to leave. I wonder what Professor Dawn Scott, who was our guest on the subject, would say. Claire, I have no idea. I am a bit puzzled, though. How So how did hedgehogs, if they're not native to New Zealand, did they sneak there on a boat? Well, somebody, somebody would have brought them in. But that's been the case for lots of very strange creatures who've turned up and wreaked havoc in different parts of the world. They hide in suitcases or, you know, they get into crates of exported fruit and veg and all that kind of stuff. Well, the grey squirrel, I reckon they're, they're so obnoxious, they probably just, just walk through. You can just, I can just see a giant... they go through the green channel? Yeah, they just... La-di-da, la-di-da, stop me if stop you Stop me if you can. Because <laughs> uh, the grey squirrels are everywhere there absolutely they're vulgar and they're nowhere near as lovely as the red ones um there's something about the gray squirrel i mean they are rats with tails aren't they they are mm-hmm. i tell you what claire if you've got a moment and you can photograph a very large hedgehog yes, please do we'd really love to yeah, see that i really would a gigantic as yeah. she says hedgehog uh, maxine lives in sydney and we welcome all of our antipodean clients should we call you clients <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, Dear Jane and Fee, uh, any chance of starting a contacts page to help people find each other? Well, I mean, we're always looking for spin-offs and I think Jane and Fee's matchmaking service, there's something in it. Perhaps it could be protected by remaining unmonetized. Well, no, now you're just being silly, Maxine. (laughs) Could organisers consider having take a single person social gatherings? I agree. No more empty platitudes, but practical actions and support are what's needed. The singleton gets free admission. Maybe the stigma felt around being lonely will slowly dissipate and everyone can feel better about themselves helping to make others happy. I have forced myself to attend things alone but it takes some courage going out or going on holidays on my own i am attempting to inject humor in my suggestions perhaps others have better ideas but it is surely worth our thought maybe some cultures have it right and the idea of marriage arrangement is not so bad if there is choice we all know someone who's lonely being single and our society is very much set up for couples there must be squillions of us perfectly nice good-hearted single people who don't want to stay single of all ages orientations and backgrounds i'm single at 65 but that doesn't stop me wanting to find love lonely heart pages online and app dating have been completely unsuccessful for me and for so many others so i echo olivia's thoughts that's where it all started and feelings having watched many forms former single friends find someone. I was divorced in 2002 and have never managed to find anyone since. Well, Maxine, I really hope that you do. I think that suggestion is fantastic. And that would really work. Just have an evening Mm. where everybody, so you can go as a couple if you're lucky enough to be in a couple and you're happy to be in that couple. Uh, You can take along someone single. Don't go if you're in a couple and you're not happy because we've all been at those evenings (laughs) and nobody wants a repeat of that. No, they don't. That makes it very complicated. That's called marriage. Yep, so happy... Stop it. So happy couples plus one. Everyone takes a single friend along uh, and everybody knows that everyone's there. And do you know what? That that's the key, isn't it? So you're not setting somebody up on a 
date where you've kind of been slightly covert about it mm. and they don't really know why they're there or whatever, just be really open about the fact that everybody's bringing a single mate along who would just like to Actually, entertain the thought of meeting someone else. Slightly weird. I've been in the opposite situation where I've been invited uh, to, like, let's call it a dinner party. And as soon as I walk in, and there's, there is sort of quite a nice bloke who doesn't, he doesn't have a partner who's there. And um, but a hostess on one occasion coming over to me very early on in the evening saying, he's married and she's just away on business. <laughs> uh, and she's really nice. And so I thought, okay. Don't even think about it, Chase. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Well, I vaguely was, I suppose, <laughs> if I'm honest. And so that, so it's funny, it can occur that way too. But that would be the opposite. Yeah. And we don't want to encourage that. No, we don't. No. We don't. Okay. What, was, what was the food like that night? I can't remember. Yeah, That's unlike you. I think <laughs> I might have been a bit disappointed along with other aspects of the evening, to be yeah. honest. So I think Maxine, you should start something just called Maxine's Mates. Yeah. And see how it goes. Why not? But, you know, there's a little, there's a little acorn of an idea brewing here. So we'll follow it on. There definitely is. But if we were to do something, Maxine, we would merch it. So, you know, let's yeah. just be honest. Okay. And in the wholesome prairie quilt that is our podcast, we'll move on now to raisins. Uh, and this is from Danny, who says, having a random thought about raisins the other day, um, and I thought I'd email you. But after listening to Monday's podcast, I realised I have other stories to tell you too. Okay, well, look, let's so we'll start with raisins. I was thinking the other day, what is it about Brits and raisins? We literally ignore them all year. Then we shove them in pies at Christmas, stuff them in buns for Easter, overload a cake with them at a wedding, throw them in with a chicken for a coronation. It's just a bit weird. We spend the rest of the year disappointed if we find a raisin in a biscuit that we've mistaken for a chocolate chip. Now on to flies. I loved the chat recently about hedgehog aggression and it reminded me of my PhD where I spent four years studying fruit fly aggression. I think we know, we know Danny, don't we? Yeah. She, yeah, she's a brilliant artist. They have a whole range of fighting actions. The males will fence with each other, then escalate into a lunge, then maybe even a tussle. The females typically stick to headbutting each other. And that actually is what Fee and I do when things get really, really tense on Tetchy Tuesday. That's what we do. And then to finish, I wanted to get in touch with finding about finding love on apps. Just letting you both know there are other places. I met my boyfriend of five years on the back seat of a bicycle made for two. Loving the jeopardy of your live radio, says Danny. Yes, we had a bit of jeopardy today, actually. It's um, it's underrated jeopardy in live broadcasting, isn't it? Mind you, it's only... is it How many days since I said that I, somebody should blow Therese coffee? <laughs> Don't go back to that. And that was on live radio. Uh, Daddy, very best to you. Thank you. Can I just say, I don't think we ignore raisins. Well, I don't. I mean, I, well, I say that. I'm actually much fonder of uh, sultanas. Yeah, you find them in your bra. Uh, but yeah. also, I would disagree, and I don't really want to disagree with Danny because I think she's a terrific person, uh, but raisins feature enormously in toddler food, don't they? You know, those packs of oh, mini God. packs of yeah. raisins. So I find that to be... Quite a triggering food now. Oh, because the child would clutch the... Yeah. Is it sun-made? Sun-made, yeah. yeah. And because they're so sweet and they're like mm. toffees, and so you think that you can, you know, give them to your kids willy-nilly. Yeah. But can I just say, Danny, they have consequences. So they may keep your child entertained on the bus as you're travelling to an educated, educational uh, activity, but a couple of hours later... They're not so great, and I wouldn't advise them being in toddler food quite so much. As a much better parent, I always favoured the carrot baton and the rice cake. Did you now? Yes. Okay. My youngsters, they've, they've grown very tall. One's five foot four. 
Did them no harm. It's weird, actually. My kids overtook me in height. One of them, before before they left primary school, they now tower above me. Right. And it does change the It changes, it the, changes dynamic. the dynamic, yes. Yeah. It, it must do. Well, to be fair, the five foot four inch one does tower over me. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I rather like it because it enables uh, me to slightly yeah. play a different role which is uh, one of the person who needs caring. Now. I was going to say, soon they'll be taking you out in a buggy and you'll be clutching some sun-made raisins. No, I would not be going there in my dotage at all because, as previously mentioned, I understand the consequences of them, Jane. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on. Settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, we had a man on the programme today, didn't we? Uh, and we were very interested to know what Richard Reeves thought about lots of things. He's written a book of boys and men, which is trying to look at the underbelly of reality for lots of men, which is just pretty uncomfortable. It's pretty poor mental health. It's not thriving in school. Uh, there is certainly a problem with male aggression. And his book is very thoughtful because it takes lots of data and statistics to prove his point. But then he does try and offer some solutions. And one of the things that I really like uh, that he says is that women have done very well in the developed world to move into a more breadwinner role in society. Mm. But men haven't. And it's just a fact managed to move into a more caregiving role in order for the balance to be retained. And it's one of many areas of friction yeah. in society. But, I mean, I wonder whether in some cases uh, it is the women... Because they said that women might have a tendency to do that kind of domestic gatekeeping and slightly keeping men away, sometimes from childcare and sometimes just from household tasks uh and then the sort of martyrish thing might enter the equation as well so there's quite a lot to get at here isn't there yeah but what he's trying to work out is where choice comes into all of that mm. uh, so you know if it's a choice that you've made to delineate your roles in you know possibly quite an uh, old-fashioned way then that's absolutely fine as long as everybody's happy but clearly there are lots of men who aren't very happy and lacking the essential kind of provider role might lie at the heart of that. There were loads and loads of things to talk about, but Richard was late. 
So we had to cram in half an hour's conversation to 13 minutes, and I think he did very well. Can I just apologise as well, because I was really looking forward to interviewing him, and I got this question formed in my mind hmm. uh, that was based around a text that we'd had him, which was quite aggressive, actually, from uh, one of our listeners just saying, um, you know, it's the chattering classes, and why can't you just celebrate the role of men in society and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to turn it into a very clever question that allowed Richard to talk back to our listener directly and I just made a hash of it Jane and so I'd just like to apologise in advance Will you be thinking about that at five in the morning? I will actually. Will you? Yes it annoys me when I, because that's what we're here for isn't it, is to ask questions of clarity and get the best from our interviewees No one's ever said that to me, I wouldn't (laughs) worry about it So I apologise in advance and then Jane very kindly asked the question again better afterwards so we got there in the end but that's my caveat. Okay, well, oh, yep, here we your is. apology in early. Yep. Uh, I'll just tell you a little bit more about him. He's a former think tanker. He used to work for Demos here in the UK. He was an advisor to Nick Clegg and the Liberal Democrats. Uh, he's now a writer and an academic based in the States. He's dad to three boys. We asked him how old his boys are and if they were part of the motivation to write this book. They're all in their 20s now, so 26, 22 and 21. And I wouldn't say they're the motivation, but they are one of the reasons why uh, I was looking at the world sort of through their eyes. And so it's just a kind of dinner. It's a, a conversation we'd be having like at home about what is what is it like you know, growing up today? What is it like being a young man today? And they're not they're not from the demographic group that I would most worry about. They're obviously from a you know, relatively advantaged and affluent background. And so those are actually not the boys and men who are struggling the most. But nonetheless, I think having that experience none, slightly affected my work. I, I have this theory that all scholarship is at least partly autobiographical. Um, and it's just a question of whether you admit it or not. So I, I think it was it was important for me to just say up front that to some extent this is influenced by conversations that I was having with them around the, around the dinner table, as well as the papers I was reading over at Brookings, where Mm. I have my day job. And can we establish some of the facts about uh, where men are struggling the most in societies, just so we can really peg out what it is we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the sort of... Four main areas are uh, where we can see our education. So in, in every advanced economy, um, boys are behind girls and men are behind women in, in higher education. And so in, in universities now, there's there's a bigger gender gap in, in universities today than there was a few decades ago. It's just the, the other way around. Uh, and that's true in the US. It's true in the UK. It's, it's, it's That's, a, I think, pretty well known now by policymakers that we're just there's a there's a, a significant gender gap in, in education at all levels now. So it's taken a while. <laughs> to sort of filter all the way through but there's a there's a big gap there um in the in the labor force it's a slightly more complicated picture because of course we've seen this huge rise of women uh, economically and in terms of earnings but there are still some gaps uh, especially at the top at the top of the labor market but we've seen a decline in male labor force participation especially for less educated men and working class men in particular have been hit hard by deindustrialization free trade etc to the extent that their earnings have ba- barely moved uh, at the median at the bottom of society over the last uh, few decades and then in family life just because we've we've changed family life so much that there's a there's a new way of being a dad now which doesn't which isn't based on the old breadwinner married model and that does mean that there are quite a few fathers now who are struggling to be in their kids lives and so there has been a rise in disconnection if you like between fathers 
and kids. And I think the suicide statistic that you referred to earlier and some of those mental health problems are to, to some extent, you know, they're a reflection of lots of different factors. But the fact that suicide, as you alluded to, is, is actually the biggest killer of British men under the age of 45. I think it's just to some extent the result of, of some of these different changes. So there, there are some there are some mental health issues wrapped in there, too. So the, those are the areas, I think, where we can see the, the starkest and, and clearest signs of, of male struggle. So why do we still believe and I mean I think it's backed up by fact as well that women are having a very hard time and haven't achieved equality well because two thoughts can be true at once uh, and so there can be various domains and ways in which boys and men uh, are now struggling including you know, for example uh, in school and some aspects of family life and then many areas where girls and women are struggling so we still have a gender pay gap for example and that's largely the result actually of this very different gender division of labor around raising kids and so women are still disproportionately hurt by a labor market and employment system that quite heavily penalizes parents and particularly those parents who take some time out of the labor market or work part-time and that disproportionately affects mums and so there's a big issue there and then still at the top of society we have an underrepresentation of women still in, in many areas of life especially in boardrooms of course although there has been significant progress uh, we're now 40 40 percent of them um, uh, this is new new data but 40 percent of uh, board directors now are female which is a significant increase but not 50 and a third of members of parliament now are female and again that's a significant increase on the five percent that it was and margaret thatcher became prime minister but it's not 50 percent. so there, there's been huge progress but there's still still some areas where we do need to do more for women and girls uh, and there are some professions i should add like technology and engineering where we need to do more but there's a whole bunch of areas now where we also need to do uh, more for boys and men so i think really it's just a test of our ability to to th- as i said to think two thoughts at once you know yeah. here there's but, a bigger, bigger problem for girls and women here there's a bigger problem for boys and men and we Richard, shouldn't have to choose do, between those two no but but do you get right. the feeling and obviously you've had reaction to this book uh, and some of the feedback I would I would imagine is good. Some of it, some of it maybe not so good. Um, that because people don't seem to want to talk about what you're talking about. They don't want to talk about the weakness in men. The only response that we've had to you coming on the program has actually been quite a kind of uh, fists up. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong. Men are, you know, men are still positive elements of society, and you're doing them down. Well, that's a slightly different criticism, of course, which is that by pointing out the difficulties that men and men are having, that that's sort of doing them down, (laughs) Uh, which is different from saying they don't have any problems. Uh, What are you talking about? Uh, You know, men don't have problems. So it's two different problems, two different criticisms. One is, what are you talking about? Men are are absolutely fine. um, And it's still women who have all the problems. And the other is, um, why are you drawing attention to these things and saying there's something wrong with men? And and both of those, I think, are unfair criticisms because, as we just said, there, there can be problems for boys and men, even as there are many remaining for girls and women. But I don't think that pointing out that there are some real difficulties for a particular group is to do that group down. I think it's to point us to those problems in the hope that we will find solutions. Mm. I think if if we find areas where, for example, like if girls, adolescent girls are really struggling with you know um, a lot of mental health problems, which they are, I don't think that's doing them doing them down and saying there's something wrong with them because they're depressed or sad or, or being bullied or you know in, in, engaged in self harm. I think we should say, well, hold on, what's happening there? Is that social media? Is that education? Is it something about society that's affecting our young women that way? And so I, I completely reject the idea that pointing to problems in a group is to somehow 
you know, do that group down. We wouldn't think that about any other group, I don't think. Well, I mean, what, what Fee's saying, actually, Rich, is, is that's the reaction we've had from male listeners, <laughs> yes. is that they're cross, that they're being yeah. thought of as failing, and you're actually pointing out quite legitimately that you want to make this better. So can we, can we start, in the limited mm-hmm. amount of time still available, uh, to talk about some of your solutions? And you actually suggest that boys should start school later than girls. Now, why is that? Because boys' brains develop more slowly than girls uh, on average. Again, these are obviously average differences, but particularly when it comes to adolescence, girls' brains develop a little bit earlier, partly because they hit puberty earlier, and that triggers the development of certain parts of our brain, especially what's called the prefrontal cortex, which is the bit the bit of your brain that, that gets you to get your homework done. It's about self-organization, non-cognitive skills is the term that's used for that. Um, and on average, girls are about a year ahead, uh, between a year and two years ahead. Uh, in in uh, secondary school Uh, and so the idea is that if we could just actually if by default we started boys a year later it wouldn't be true for all boys of course or indeed all girls that would actually level the playing field developmentally girls are developmentally ahead of boys in school and that's not exactly a shocking or controversial finding but then we're seeing it play out in how girls are doing in a level whether they're going on to university and so on so the idea there is to is to just recognize that boys develop at a slower pace than girls it's not that they're worse or that there's anything wrong with them to all the men who've been complaining about that that's just a neuroscientific fact and so perhaps we should reflect that in our education policy we have got so much to try and pack into the next five minutes but we will try and race through it richard you do say in the book for most women having a child is the economic equivalent of being hit by a meteorite for most men it barely makes a dent the question arises as to whether these different roles are freely chosen or not what do you conclude yeah so the main point there is that the gender pay gap is largely now a parenting pay gap it's largely the result of this difference between men and women um in how far they're they're taking time out or working part time and so on and i think that when it's very young children i'm reasonably convinced i'm reasonably convinced now that for most women although not all that is that is largely something that they would like the option to do is to have the choice at least to be able to choose between staying in the labor market full-time or going part-time or working flexibly or taking some time out but i think the mistake is to think that that's then a kind of permanent decision um i'm actually reasonably convinced by the evidence that dads are pretty good with slightly older kids and so i think over the course of raising children what we'd want to do is see more symmetry um but we have a tendency to just think the early years are the only ones that count um and so so we 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 point to the fact that mums are typically the ones who are, I think, largely choosing to do more of the childcare as early years and say, oh, there you go. See, mums want to stay home with their kids for the next 20 years. It takes at least 20 years to raise a kid. And so what I think what happens is that we fall between these kind of two false stories. One is there's no difference between men and women in their preferences around being at home with a six month old, say, and then saying, oh, yes. And that's why. We should, that's why you end up with this division of labour that lasts for decades. So we're, we're not doing a very good job, I think, of being more flexible in the kind of parenting we can do. And do you feel, as a man and as a parent yourself, frustrated by how few role models there are available doing exactly that type of thing? Yeah, and I think in some ways it's gotten worse. I mean, I, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I, I served in the coalition government and I was actually really quite proud of the fact that David Cameron took paternity leave right you know, very early in, in, in the term of the government. And, and I feel there was a moment uh, not so long ago where actually we were really pushing hard to have you know, more, more men in positions of authority you know, modelling uh, what I would describe as a kind of you know, a more appropriate form of masculinity and parenting. Um, but I, think, I feel that we've slipped backwards in recent years. We've slipped back to 
um, slightly more boorish adolescent forms of male role model online and in politics. And so I fear that in some ways, in terms of how masculinity is being modeled, we've actually gone back in the last 10 years. So I am disappointed. I think that I'd like to get back to a world where if you think about Barack Obama, uh, and David Cameron, regardless of what you think of either of their politics, I, I think we could agree that there were probably better male role models than either Donald Trump or Boris Johnson. And so I think in some ways we have been in a bit of a slippage because of some of the problems in our politics. People have reached for what I'd describe as really quite an adolescent form of masculinity, a kind of play, almost like a play acting form. But, and then, of mm. course, you see online hateful figures like Andrew Tate. And what would you say to Andrew Tate if you had him in a room for half an hour? <laughs> well, that would be great. I would love that conversation. Um I think what I would say is how far do you actually believe this misogynist stuff, Andrew, and how far are you just mastering the algorithm of outrage um, in order to drive clicks and make, I think, conservative, he was making like $20 million a month for a while because he mastered the algorithm of hate and response and short form and transgression and out outrage. Uh, do you actually believe this stuff or are you, are you, as you now claim, performing it? And how hard have you thought about the fact that Actually, if you're a 13-year-old boy desperate for some kind of guidance on how to be male who stumbles across your videos, so that could have a really corrosive effect on his view of himself. Like, uh, Have you thought hard about your social responsibility, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know what answer I would get, but that would be my kind of concern about someone like that. Have you thought about the downstream effects or are you just trying to rake in as much money as humanly possible mm. uh, from, the from, from the algorithm of short-form video? So we ended there with Richard Reeves' thoughts on Andrew Tate. If you had half an hour in a room with Andrew Tate, what would you say to I'm him? I'm not sure I could really do better than Richard Reeves' answer about what are you act, what do you really believe? And I suppose in my ideal world, we'd never speak the man's name again or ever hear from him again. It's unfortunately, I suspect there's a whole new brand of victimhood developing around Andrew Tate, depending on what happens to him in the Romanian legal system. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it? Well, he was so clever because he predicted his fate because he knew what was well, coming. He said the Matrix would come him. for him. Yeah. yeah. So he already made the justice system the enemy before it caught up with him, which means whatever the justice system in Romania decides to do with him, he can play the part of the injured party. Yeah. So we may well be seeing him for quite a long time, but we'll let that court case ride out. Uh, my worry as well is that we're not talking enough about who fills his shoes, because a space as big as that created by Andrew Tate will be filled by somebody. It's not just all going to stop mm. if him and his brother are convicted of the crimes they're accused of. And I shouldn't laugh, but the fact that his brother's called Tristan just always... Why does that make you well, laugh? <laughs> Would it be better if it was Terry? I do find Tristan a little hard to handle. Right, OK, <laughs> thoughts on nominative determinism. I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Uh, please send them somewhere else. I don't want to see We don't those. actually want your thoughts on nominative determinism. We'd, we'd rather hear from you on the subject of raisins, to I be honest. So. Raisins, lactation and how to make single people happy. And giant hedgehogs. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Uh, luckily for you, we're back at the same time tomorrow. Yes, but the guest is Sally Wainwright. So actually, that is lucky, isn't it? Yeah, that is lucky. <laughs> Don't undersell it. <laughs>
You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.